0: Amen. Great singing today. Trying to you to Hebrews chapter 26. No, there is no Hebrews 26. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 26. Hebrews 10, verse number 26. So chapter 10, we've broken up into three sections, three different weeks. Today we'll be in verses 26 through 39. And you know, the choices that we make in life are our choices alone. Other people influence our choices, family, friends, media, TV, whatever it may be. Other people can influence the choices that we make, but at the end of the day, we make our choices, and we have to live with the choices. And here, the writer of Hebrews is encouraging the believers, many of them believers, some of them, he wasn't sure if they were believers, he was hoping they were all believers, but some of them were trying to decide whether it was worth it to keep following Jesus, Because it was getting tough, it was getting difficult, it was getting hard. There was pressure upon them. There was persecution that was happening. And some were just saying, you know what, what I want to do is I want to hold on to Jesus, but I'm going to go live back in Judaism because it's safer. So what I'm going to do is try to hold on to Jesus and Judaism. I just want to be safe. And the writer is saying, I'm sorry, but when you choose to hold on to Jesus, you must let go of Judaism. And when you choose to hold on to Judaism, you have let go of Jesus. So you you can only make one choice here. It's, it, it's impossible to choose both. And so the writer of Hebrews is not just writing to the people who are struggling between Jesus and Judaism. He's, struggling. He's writing to people like us today. We're not struggling with Jesus and Judaism, but we're struggling with Jesus and a lot of other things in this world. And what are we going to grasp onto? What are we going to hold on to? What are we going to say? You know what? No matter what, I will follow Jesus no matter what. I'm not going to turn my back on him and I'm not going to stop following him. I'm not going to quit, I'm not going to give up. And so that's the call that he gives us today. What are we going to do with this relationship that we have with Jesus? Because the more faithfully you follow him, we can see the handwriting on the wall. Problems and persecution come to those who take a stand for Jesus today. And in our culture that we live in, are we going to say, well, you know what? It doesn't matter what the culture does or says to me. I will still follow Jesus. No turning back. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today. And as we look at the text before us this morning, Lord, we're we're certainly not in the same position that these people were in. We still thank you, Lord, for the great freedoms we have in America. But we see that they are slowly slipping away. And we know that many people would love people like us to be persecuted for what we believe, that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. And so, Lord, we thank you again for what you've given to us in America. But Lord, when that day ends, Help us to continue to stand fast, continue to follow you, and continue to live for you, regardless of the cost. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse number 26, the writer says this, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. So there's this plea for the believers there, or those who, he wasn't sure, claimed to be believers. There's a plea to them, listen, don't turn back on Jesus. Because he says this, if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. So what he's saying is, listen, if you're saying, I'm holding on to Jesus Christ to save me, Christ alone, it's through no works, it's through nothing else, it's through Christ alone. But then you say, I'm going to let go of that and I'm going to go hold on to a religion that teaches something different. He says "Then his sacrifice doesn't count. There is no sacrifice for your sins. So if you think that by by sacrificing animals now, if you think that's going to be pleasing to God, it's not. That was a down payment until Christ came. So if you're going to go back to that system, then you've missed the boat on who Jesus is. And this isn't going to save you. Nothing can save you. There is no more sacrifice. There's nothing else you can do. There's not plan B. There was only plan A from the beginning of time, from the Garden of Eden. It was a Messiah will come. So then, sacrifice in faith that the Messiah will come. And now that the Messiah has come, and you say you place your faith in him, and now you're saying maybe I'm going to let go of him and go back to Judaism? and sacrifice animals, you've totally missed the boat. Now you think the animal's saving you. And some of them would say, yeah, but it's just easier. Because you know what, I, I I believed in Jesus and my family disowned me, and my job fired me, and my community has ostracized me. So it's, it's just easier to do it this way. And he says, well, if that's what you're doing, you're neglecting the only one that can save you. And he's saying, it's worth following Jesus. It's worth not turning your back on him. Aren't you thankful that when you got saved, your family didn't disown you. And when you got saved, your job didn't, you didn't go in and they say, I'm sorry, you embrace Jesus, you're done. And nobody else is gonna hire you. And your community is going to look down their nose at you. But that's what happened for these people. And so we can understand the struggle, but he says, listen, if you reject the truth, there's no other truth. Like there is only one truth. And I know in our culture today, they're like, no, no, there's, everybody has their own truth. But there's only one truth. Just like, you know, today, some people may say, well, listen, I know I was born a man, but I'm going to become a woman. My new truth is now I'm a woman. Here's the thing. Your new truth is you're still a man. You may look like a woman, you may act like a woman, you may take hormones to make you think you're a woman. But in the beginning, God created a male and female. The truth is, there's only one gender. You can't choose between making a new gender, that you're either a male or a female. That's the truth. Now, if you say that too loudly in the wrong place, you will be ostracized because our nation has gone woke. But the Bible says there's truth. What are you going to do with the truth? My daughter was asked that question in one of her college courses this week. We want you to give a three-minute video and put her on YouTube on what you believe about gender. Like, what in the world does that have to do with the press she's in? But she had to do it. And praise God, she biblically answered the question. And she's like, I don't know what he's like. He might fail me. I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know where he's at. He got a hundred, praise God. But, you know, he could have said, you fail because that's not truth. But God says, no, no, no. My truth is truth. And when it comes to salvation, there is nothing more clear. Salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. And he's pleading to them, don't turn back on Jesus, verse 27. But there is a certain fearful looking for a judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses of how much sorer punishment, suppose you, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite under the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will Say the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Booker T. Washington said, A lie does not become truth. Wrong does not become right. And evil doesn't become good just because it's accepted by the majority. It's a good statement. Just because the majority of people say this is what we think is the new truth. Well, if God says otherwise, then it's otherwise. We must go back to what the word of God says. And so he's reminding them, listen, if you reject, and again, he's speaking specifically about the cross. He's speaking specifically about salvation. If you say, I don't believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to get saved. I think he's part of the way. I think it's Jesus and good works. I think it's Jesus and baptism. I think it's Jesus and church membership. He's saying, listen, you're, you're letting go of Jesus. Because the Bible talks about Jesus died alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. It's not found in Jesus and me, or Jesus and works, or Jesus and church, or Jesus and the Lord's Supper. It's found in Jesus Christ alone. He paid it all. And so he says, if you reject that, If you go to any other religion, any other belief system, then he says, you only have judgment waiting for you. When we die, we will step into the not loving hands of our Heavenly Father, but the judgment hands of a holy God. And that person will die, and God will say, why should I let you into heaven? And he may not ask the question, but if their attitude is, I'm trusting in something other than Jesus Christ alone, then the answer is depart from me and never knew you. And and many people will go to hell believing in the story of Jesus. Of course I believe Jesus came. I believe he was God. I believe he was God in the flesh. Of course I believe that. I believe he died on the cross on the third day rose from the dead. I believe that. And I believe you have to trust in him to save me from my sins. But I also think you also have to Be a good person. And I think you also have to be baptized and I think you have to be part of a church. God will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Why? Because we've changed the truth. And look at what he said. Under Moses, if people died without mercy under the law because of two or three witnesses, how much sore, verse 29, how much sore punishment suppose you Shall so he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified in unholy thing and hath done despite to the Spirit of grace? If, if any human being says, I don't think that Jesus Christ is enough. I don't think what he did is enough to save me. He says, I'm sorry, you will die under the judgment of God, because you have thought little of his sacrifice. There's no other way to be saved. And so he's begging the people there who have said, I, 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 I did that. When I was a kid, I believed that. But now I think maybe I'm a little more sophisticated. If we get more sophisticated with the cross, we've done despite to the cross. We've turned it around. We have said we don't believe the cross and the cross alone. In verse 31, he reminds us it's a fearful thing. To fall into the hands of the living God. We don't want to be there. Or the holy God of the universe would ever say to somebody who went to church their entire life. Who prayed a prayer. Who believed in the the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection. But there will be some people who will die and go to hell believing all of that. Why? Because they've added something to it. They've added good works. They've added, well, I think you have to do it this way. I think I have to hold on to God rather than God hold on to me. I think it's all about me keeping myself saved or me doing enough good works. I believe this, but I also believe you have to be good enough. God said, well, then that person has rejected Christ. They're thinking that there's another truth. And God will say, I'm sorry, I never knew you. Matthew reminds us of that. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not done many wonderful works? I believed in you, but I also did good works to get saved. God will say, I'm sorry to depart from me. You that work iniquity. Why? Because if my good works done for God are done to hopefully save me, that said it's not good then. It's iniquity. And that's the truth. And so he's begging them, don't go back to Judaism, because if you go back to Judaism, it's a sign that you don't believe the finished work of Christ. And some of them may have gone back to Judaism, may genuinely have been saved, and they just were pretending in Judaism because they wanted to keep peace in the family. They weren't pleasing God. But once you're saved, you can't lose your salvation. You know anybody that you thought was saved, and now they're like, I don't even know if they are saved. Because they don't live for it. Well, if they genuinely were saved, they can't lose their salvation. However, that person needs to check whether they fully understood salvation. (laughs) Because God puts his spirit within us. Look at verse 32. So he writes to those who are thinking about going back to Judaism, or maybe for you and me, going somewhere else. Verse 32, then he says this, But call to remembrance... The former days, in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. Partly whilst you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst you became companions of them that were so used. So he said, I want you to remember when you did get saved, when when you embraced Christ, and remember what happened, the lights came on. You saw things a little more clearly. Again, for us, think back to the day where you got saved. Think about that moment, and you understood things got a little bit different in your mind. Your thought life was different about what it meant to follow Jesus. You understood it wasn't just what I'm supposed to on Sundays. You understood that if you genuinely received, he started working your heart and changing you. And what did they do? Some of them, they changed their companionship. They started hanging around believers now. And they started following the Lord in in the right way. And and he said you became a gazing stock. Other people put their eyes on you and they're like, I wonder if this is genuine or not. And he watched from a distance and he wondered whether you were going to continue to follow God. And they watched and they watched and you've been faithful. Verse number thirty-four you had compassion on me in my bonds. So when the, the writer was he he was in prison. What did they do? You took joyfully to the spoiling of your goods, knowing yourself that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. So he said, I was in prison. And he said, what did you do? You guys took some of your money you really couldn't afford to part with, and you helped me out. You bought me stuff. You brought things to me. You cared for me. So he said, what? There was a change in your heart. He said, don't forget that. Don't forget your salvation experience, because for sometimes as as children of God, the more we live for God, sometimes life gets harder and harder. It, it does make sense to us. We're like, why shouldn't, the more I live for God, why shouldn't life get easier? Why shouldn't there be less problems? I shared with somebody this week, uh, not here, but somebody else, the, the, the more we live for God, the more we get serious about the things of God. You know what we've done? We've kind of thrown a hand grenade into hell. And Satan's now I am. And so Satan and his demons, they start coming after. us. like, oh, really? You want to be serious about following Jesus? I'll see to that. And then what happens? There's problems and there's difficulties. Remember what happened to Job? Here's a man who loved God and was living for God and was faithful. And all of a sudden, God used him as an illustration and said, look, Satan, that's what a a godly human being looks like on the planet Earth. And Job said, What if I test it? And God said, You can test it. And we look at that scene and we're like, Man, I'm glad I wasn't Job. But man, the story of Job has encouraged my life. But I wonder if there's somebody else in this world that needs some encouragement, not from Job, but from you. And so God has said, I'm going to put you or me through some trials and difficulties. So that that guy at work can watch a living present-day Job respond to difficulties and how you come out on the other side. And so we don't understand all that is going on, but we know there's a spiritual battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against spiritual wickedness. And so the writer here is saying, listen, guys, don't give up on God. I, I know some days it doesn't seem to make sense what God is doing. But he's reminding them, I want you to live by faith. I want you to follow God by faith. In fact, it's the rest of the passage here. read. It talks about faith. He's looking at verse 36. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Anybody here, like, really, really good with patience? Like, you're like, I don't know why people struggle with patience. I don't ever struggle. We all do, right? Waiting on God or waiting on people or waiting on circumstances, it's it's not the most pleasant thing to do. And the writer says, listen, you know why you, as a child of God, have sometimes wondered if it's worth following Jesus? It's because you haven't seen the end yet. You're in the middle, and in the middle, in the struggle, in the difficulty. You're wondering, where's God? And you're like, why doesn't he just act today? And it's been like, it's been a month. It's been a year. It's been 10 years. And when is he going to show up? When is he going to fix this? And he says, you know what? You need to take patience. You know, when somebody says, you just, all you need is patience. You want to just slap him. Like, are you kidding me? I don't need patience. I need an answer now. Oh, I do need patience, don't I? But he's begging us, don't give up on God. We get frustrated with God. His way doesn't make sense. We get irritated. We get like, God, I'm trying to pour my heart into following you. And this, why this? That guy over there, he hates you. And he's got a 15-car garage and 25 cars. And he's got a swimming pool the size of Lake Michigan. Why don't you do something with him? And God says, because he's not my child. You're my child, and I'm trying to improve you and make you more and more like me. And Satan loves him. He's not going to make his life miserable. He hates you. But I'm with you, and I want you to demonstrate what it looks like to live by faith, because there's people in this world that need to see Jesus. You know what they're going to get by following that guy? Zero. (laughs) Zero. But if they follow the God that you trust in the midst of your hardships and you keep pointing them to me and saying, I know life is hard, but God has never let me down, that's going to mean more to them when they need help. So, so don't give up. Don't quit on God. Don't cast away your confidence that you have in Jesus Christ, verse 35, which have great recompense of reward. It will be worth it all, as the songwriter said, when? When we see Jesus. One day, it's going to all make sense. Today, so you die, it doesn't make sense. But he's begging us to stay faithful to God. Verse 37, for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just, the righteous, the, the true believer in Jesus Christ, he shall live by faith. <coughs> but if any man draw back, if you backslide, to do go the other direction, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them that draw back under perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So he says, listen, I want you to verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith. He says this, if you're truly born again, you know what God wants out of you, faith. Well, not faith for salvation, faith for Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. He wants you to live by faith. What does that mean? Well, it's it's written here. It's written in Galatians. Paul said it to the Galatians, the just shall live by faith. We read it in Romans chapter 1 where Paul said it to the Romans, the just shall live by faith. But where did that phrase come from? I'm sure it's all in your mind, but let's go back there. Habakkuk. Say what? Habakkuk? Where's that even at? Just go to Matthew and go back a few books. Habakkuk is where this phrase begins. Short little book, three chapters. And Habakkuk was a prophet in Israel there and um he was burdened for his people. He just wanted God to just stir among the people of Israel. Because Habakkuk looked around. Here he is a prophet. He's prophesying. He's telling people this. We need to get right with God. God wants to bless us, but we're not living for God. He was living at a time kind of like America is today. Where many of the leaders wanted nothing to do with God. They still had the, the former religion. You know, if you were to ask a lot of our, you know, politicians today and in Washington or is America a Christian nation? They would say, Well, bless God we are. They all say, God bless America. And then they pass laws that are blatantly contrary to this book. Things that make God angry. You know, like, how how is this happening? And people that will say, I love God, and they live like they hate God. It was it was going on in Habakkuk's day. You know what Habakkuk said? He went to God and he prayed and he said, God, can you do something about Israel? Like, I'm burdened. I would love to see a revival among our nation. I would love for you to just come in and do something great among Israel today because we're not living for you like we should. We're your people and we're not living like we're your people. Can you do something? That's I'm going to. I'm back. I'm not sure you want to hear what I'm going to tell you. He said, no, no, please tell me, what's what's your plan? What's the plan for revival? He said, Well what, what I'm gonna do, you know the Babylonians? Oh yeah, those people are wicked. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna bring them down to Israel and I'm gonna have them like plunder and destroy just destroy Israel and capture a bunch of people and take them back captive and um it's gonna last seventy years. And it's going to be a brutal time. But that's, that's what I plan to do. And in fact, he said, I'm sorry. What? Like, that's not, what I was hoping for is revival. I said, oh, believe me, when they get done, some of those people are going to be revived. He said, but God, you're going to use Babylon? They're wicked. They hate you. He said, I know told you you didn't want to hear the story. But this is what I'm going to do. And So in Habakkuk chapter 2, he says this, verse 1. He said, God, what I'm going to do is I'm going to stand upon my watch. I'm going to set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me. And what shall I answer when I am reproved? the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. So, so back, he said, all right, God, what I'm going to do is, I don't like, I don't see how this is good. I don't see how this can be part of your plan. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to to trust you. I'm going to believe you. I'm going to watch. I'm going to look. I hope it doesn't happen that way, but I'm going to watch. I'm going to wait. I'm going to trust you. And God said, you know what, you might want to write this one down. Because other people aren't going to believe it either. And other people are going to struggle. Because they're not going to understand how I work. But I'm sovereign God, I know what I'm doing, and I know it's best. So write this one down. Verse 3. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end of it, shall speak. And not lie. Though it tarry, it's not coming right away, it's coming, wait for it because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Write that one down Habakkuk and Paul picked it up and wrote it in Romans and he wrote it in Galatians and the writer of Hebrews wrote it in Hebrews. And it's a, it's a phrase that we have heard and we've believed and we know that God says that faith is trusting me when you don't understand what's around the corner, when you don't know what he's doing, when you look at the circumstance, you say, this doesn't make any sense. I don't know what he's doing. Like I thought he loved me. I thought he cared about me. Why would he do this? God says, you know what? The just needs to live by faith. How do you get saved? Oh, I got saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. How does he want me to live today? By faith in Jesus Christ, the sovereign king of the universe, the one who knows what he's doing. He's in control. He has a plan for my life. And some of these people in Hebrews were saying, God, I don't know if I can take much more. I'm about ready to throw in the towel because I, I don't know what you're doing. Why? me and he and he was pleading for them don't turn your back on jesus don't give up god knows what he's doing he knows every detail of your life he knows what he's doing don't give up if we live by sight if if it was all like if god would write it down somewhere for us like what's my next or when something happens god said here's why you know, you, you had a fortune cookie, and you open it up, and I was like, this is exactly why you're going through this trial. It'd be a little bit easier, wouldn't it? This is going to last for six weeks and three days, and then at noon on that next day, everything's going to get better. We can take it, because we can live by sight. We can live by, okay, I've got six weeks, or I've got six hours of this problem. But when God says live by faith, and we're like, yeah, but it's been 12 years. Like, how much longer? God says, I'm going to do what I need to do, and I won't tarry. I won't make it a minute longer than it needs to be. But it's going to be the right time. So trust me. Have faith. Live for me. Because I know what I'm doing. And I've never made a mistake. And I'm not going to start with you. I have a plan. And yet some of these people are like, Paul, I'm, I'm about ready to just check out. Like, I'm, not, I'm not saying I totally give up on God, but I'm like, I'm, going, I'm almost done with church, and I'm almost done with reading my Bible, because I just don't know if I can take much more. He's saying, no, no, don't, don't give up. Don't give up. God knows what he's doing in your life. He will not fail you. Verse 39 is encouraging back in Hebrews 10. Because what did he say? He says, um, if you draw back in verse 38, God's not going to have pleasure in you. But we are not of them who draw back on the perdition. But of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So as he was begging these people, listen, don't turn me back on Judaism and don't give up on God. He said, I I don't think you guys will. I don't think you will. Yeah, we all know people who have, right? But let's pray that they will get their hearts right with God and come back. But let's pray for one another, that none of us get to that point. so you know what? Every one of us in here probably has been to that point at some point in our life where we're like, you know what? I'm, I'm this close to just throwing in the towel. And we don't know when that happens in somebody else's life because usually we don't go up to somebody and say, hey, by the way, um, I'm not sure this is my last Sunday here because I'm not ready to throw in the towel. But somebody's last Sunday has been at some point. And they were like, that's it. And we don't know what's going on in their heart. That's why we need to pray for one another. That's why we need to get to know one another. Encourage one another, as we saw last week. Talk to one another. Find out what's going on because we need to help one another in their faith. And these people were like, you know what, what I'd like to do, I just want to be like Switzerland. I don't want to have to make any decisions. Like, I don't want to have to make a choice. Why can't I just hold on to Jesus and Judaism? Or Jesus and anything else? Why can't I just, like, not make a decision? Here's the, even the people in Switzerland, they all have strong opinions. They just don't want to tell anybody what it is. They have strong opinions about every issue just because they're human beings. But they're like, we're not going to take a stand. Paul says, don't be like Switzerland. You need to take a stand. Your stand needs to be, I'm going to follow Jesus, no turning back. Remember when Jesus told a bunch of people, followers of his, and they said, listen, I'm I need you to know this. If you're really serious about following me, it's going to involve pain and difficulty and hardship. Because if you follow me, you get all of my enemies too. And so one by one, some of them were like, I'm sorry, I think I hear somebody calling me. I'm serious about following you, but I got to go. And one by one, people started leaving until there were the 12 disciples left. And Jesus looked at them and said, um, where Are you, you, you guys, guys leaving too? Time. Peter said, where else would we go? You have the words of life. And here's the thing. If you leave Jesus to go to any other religion, or if you leave Jesus, because you're just going to give up, up on him, where else would you go? There is nothing else. And so the writer says, don't give up. And don't fall back. He says, I'm begging you, follow Jesus. And that's the call to me. That's the call to you. Live by faith. Good chance we're going to have to put that faith into practice this week at some point. Or we're going to have to decide. I know what God wants me to do. But I I know what is more popular. I know what is a more easier decision to make here. But I'm going to follow Jesus. And that's the call. Don't give up. Don't turn back. Follow Jesus.